Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode of The Read-Along is brought to you by Alberta Association of Optometrists, proudly celebrating a century of caring for Albertans. It happens. Many people don't call their optometrist first for urgent eye care when they need it. From spring cleaning mishaps to winter eye infections, if you or your family have an eye emergency, doctors of optometry are trained to diagnose, treat, and prescribe medications, no referral necessary. And just a reminder, Alberta health coverage is available toward your urgent eye care appointment. To find an optometrist in your area, visit optometrists.com. AB.ca. Missed opportunity there. I emergency. Come on. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. When this episode drops, it is New Year's Eve. And uh, hopefully your 2022 is better than your 2021. Let's be honest. When you're listening to it, it's probably after New Year's Eve. So happy New Year. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to presume that your 2021 was necessarily bad, but I think it's a fairly safe thing to assume that for a lot of people, it hasn't been super. It it hasn't. Like better than 20? In some ways. In in lots of ways. (laughs) Better than 20. Still room for improvement. Yeah. 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 Quite a week to go out on as well, because certainly here in Edmonton, we are experiencing abysmal cold. Oh, it is so cold. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with the Celsiuses, wherever you happen to be, (laughs) we were pushing minus 40, minus 50 with the wind chill this week, off and on. So uh, yeah, uh, kind of don't leave your house situation. Yeah. uh, I had to venture forth today to buy groceries because we still need food. Yep. Um. And the temperature in my, according to my car on the drive home was minus 32. And my car does not feel wind chill. So that is so cold. Yeah. Oh, so cold. I've uh, heard people complain before that if the wind chill is a factor in the temperature, just add that to the temperature. If it's, if it feels like minus 45, just say it's minus 45. Yeah. It's just that cold. (laughs) But uh, that's, that's not exactly the way it works, so. At any rate, uh, a very cold week for us, but all the better to curl up in our cozy warm house with a nice book Mm. and catch up on what's going on with Jebby over in Phoenix Extravagant. And uh, before we get into uh, this chapter, we should do a brief recap of our previous chapter in which Jebby sneaks away from Zakan after getting her drunk at a karaoke (laughs) bar. It's not a karaoke bar. Yeah, I, I was... Being facetious. <laughs> and then goes and meets up with Bong Sunga after spending a night in jail and spilling all the beans. And Bong Sunga decides to recruit Jebby into the revolution and tasks Jebby with stealing a dragon. And that leads us into chapter 10 of Phoenix Extravagant by Yoon Ha Lee. So Jebby kind of just strides back into the Summer Palace the next day. Okay, yeah. Basically, Jebby gets grounded. More or less. They're just not allowed to 
go out again for a month? Well, it's a little more than that. Jebby does get taken for interrogation and questioned. Fortunately, Jebby and Bongsunga had come up with an excuse. It's sadly not as good as my excuse from the other day. And the reason I say <laughs> that is because while Jebby does have the benefit of a witness, because Bongsunga arranged uh, a cover story with contact, Yes. the fact remains that Someone could look into the story and could find out that Jebby was in jail for a night? This is a great big question right at the beginning of my notes. How does Armour not know that Jebby had contact with their sister? Like, how do they not know that? Yeah, like, it. My, my concern is that this might not be a rock-solid alibi, but it's certainly enough to pass initial scrutiny. And... It suffices for the interrogation. Everybody's like, yeah, all right. Zakan is apparently upset. That's a bridge that's most likely burned and uh, is also in trouble. But um, basically, Jebby's story is I got drunk with Zakan and then I wandered away and got drunk somewhere else. And then I slept it off at a friend's house. This friend being the contact in question. Yeah. The guards are just basically like, okay, that was a terrible idea. And you're, as you said, grounded. Yeah, you're grounded. No longer allowed to go outside for a month. And Jebby's like, mm, that might actually make escaping a little more complicated. But, you think? Yeah. I just, it just blows my mind that they would bother to interrogate Jebby, but not check the cover story? Well, they might check the cover story. But again, the cover story involves a material witness who has already been coached on the story. Yeah, but there are police records. Like, Bonsunga bailed Jebby out they have to have a record of that, that someone paid the bail. Yeah, but Jebby was also using their real name and working for Armour. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Usually use their Brazani name, right? So Fair enough. And they were kind of counting on that to maybe throw the investigation a little bit, but okay. who's to say? I forgot about the alternate name. You're right. Okay. Maybe it'll work. So back underground, Jebby goes and takes a long bath, first of all, to get rid of the stink from jail, and then collapses and sleeps well into the next day because they had done all this while still sick. Right. And they awaken to find Vey waiting with food. And Vey is like, all right, got some questions for you. <laughs> Jebby's like, oh no. Yeah. First of all, Vey asks about the unpleasantness with Sean. Apparently word has gotten around that Jebby had accused Sean of impropriety. And Vey's like, do I need to deal with this? Because <laughs> I am the duelist prime. My responsibility within this ministry is to uphold its honor. If someone is acting in a dishonorable way, they will be dealt with. And Jebby's legitimately like, no, no. No, no. We're good. It's fine. I overreacted. Everything's cool. Basically, Jebby plays the quote unquote sick card in, in not so many words. Yeah. Being like, no, no, no. It was me. It was all me. <laughs> Everything's fine. At least Jebby has the good sense to not get someone else unduly punished. Yeah. Which I, I appreciate. With the exception of Zakan, who's in trouble. And Vey scolds Jebby for ducking Zakan. And then, perhaps most frustratingly, asks after that new mask the dragon is wearing. Because Vey has noticed it's changed. And knows that the grammar on it was not double-checked by Nahen. Something that Jebby hadn't done. Mm -hmm. Vey being very astute. Frighteningly well, so. Yeah. Vey is just all over Jebby's secret business. And Jebby has to kind of fast talk their way out of it a little bit. Mm. And when Vey tries to insist that Jebby take the new grammar to Nahen to double check, Jebby tries to deflect. And the first thing off the top of their head is, oh, by the way, you murdered my sister-in-law. Well, okay. Well, they don't say it quite like that. No. Now, Vey is curious about this because she's like, I don't remember fighting anybody who looks like you. And Jebby's like, oh, well, the person you killed was not a blood relative. 
Vey also doesn't recognize the name Gia. And so is like, this was probably someone I killed during the war then, because those were really the only opponents whom I did not know personally. Yeah, well, a duelist would know whom they were dueling. Well, yeah, for the most part, a duel is a deeply personal event. It's one, it's mano a mano. It's yeah. one on one. Oh, and yeah. so generally speaking, you don't just get into a duel with some schmo. No, exactly. And there's a lot of like honor and tradition and, and, and protocol to a duel. Yeah, right? the ceremony. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so it tracks then that for the most part, they would know the face and name of everyone who's who she's killed. In yeah. a formal setting. Yeah, of course. But in the informality of war, sometimes he's going to kill some mooks, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, in this case, Gia was one of those mooks. Now, Vey is, at the very least, a little contrite about this and clearly feels some pangs that uh, she has unduly wronged Jebby in this way and is like, well, perhaps you could refresh my memory if you drew her. You are an artist. And Jebby obliges and draws actually a lovely picture of Gia with I... Bongsunga. I love this so much. <laughs> it's something about the way Jebby operates. Jebby cannot help themselves. They draw people how they they draw how they feel, right? Jebby intends to draw Gia as the soldier that she was. Yeah. But that's not how Jebby remembers saw her. her. Right. Yeah. That's not how Jebby feels. So Jebby had to draw Gia as part of their family as the sister-in-law that mm-hmm. she is. And they have to include Bong Sunga in it. For it to make sense in context. Right? And yeah. that's, it's just wonderful. The same thing happened actually back during the duel when Jebby was sketching, um, what's his face? And drew him as a character. Yeah, and yeah. drew this like, almost like grotesque character of him. Right? Jebby can't help it. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's sweet. Seeing the image, Vey has a conflicted emotion kind of play across her face. And and does kind of formally apologize and goes to withdraw. And Jebby's like, uh, no, I can't let her go right now because she might go check up on stuff. She might go back to work. Yeah. And I don't need that at I need the to distract her. Oh, no. So Jebby makes a kind of like a pass at her. And Vey eagerly reciprocates, enthusiastically consents. Yeah. And sexy times ensue. The first of many in this chapter. Several, indeed. Yes. Yeah. Afterward, it's not necessarily Vey who has regrets, but Jebby. So in the next few days, the gossip starts to get around that Vey and Jebby slept together. Apparently, for the record, not considered improper for the duelist prime to take a lover. Yeah. Even within the ministry that they work for. Just so long as it doesn't interfere with their work. Well, and Jebby spoke about this earlier, how an artist is, you know, married to their work formally. But it's it's not unusual to take, you know... A human lover. (laughs) Yeah. And Jebby wonders if maybe it's a similar situation with a duelist prime, that they are considered married to their job. So taking a lover from time to time is just an accepted part of it. On occasion. Yeah. Yeah. People people have needs. Exactly. Now, as is usually the case with Jebby, rather than dealing with this complication, they throw themselves into their work. Yeah. Fixing up a fake but passable grammar to show to Nehen that looks kind of like the grammar on the mask. So that Nehen is placated, Vey is placated, but nobody maybe takes a closer look. Yeah. Uh, Arazi actually helps with this. Very helpful. <laughs> well, because Arazi doesn't exactly want to take off this mask. He also, has a newfound freedom with it. Yeah. And also, for the record, probably 
doesn't really have much else to do. That's true. Uh, very bored automata. They've also been given some of Sean's work-making pigments in this time. So that that is part of what their workday currently entails. Mm-hmm. That's not so unusual, though, because they were doing that before anyway. Yeah, apparently, like, more of it has been given to Jebby, though. The reason I bring this up is because during this uh, little bit, Arazi actually wonders, well, why don't they just take, like, a dead author's book, put it through a printing press and mass produce it? They'd have an endless supply of pigment because it counts as a dead man's work of art. And Jebby is, number one, horrified at this prospect. And number two... Uh, legitimately like, oh, I wish they would because then they wouldn't be destroying something irreplaceable. Right? They wouldn't be destroying all these priceless works. Yeah. And then on the other hand, they're like, well, no, because then that gives them like... Unlimited pigment. A ridiculous supply of pigment and that's not good either. No. So, kind of torn on that one. Right? Later that very day, uh, while going for a snack break, uh, one of Bong Sunga's agents makes a big show of bumping into Jebby and like slips them a note that, hey, FYI, next time Faye is out, that's your time to, to yeah. break out. That's the time to slip away. And wouldn't you know it, the very next day, Faye comes to Jebby and is like, FYI, I'm leaving in two days because I need to accompany the deputy minister on a trip. Which loosely translates to, I have to go be a bodyguard for a little while. Yeah, but also means Bongsunga's agents are well informed because they knew that the deputy minister was going to be leaving soon. Mm-hmm. So they know his itinerary. Eyes everywhere. You know, it's one of those situations where Bongsunga is watching the ministry, the ministry is watching Bongsunga, everybody's watching each other, and everyone knows that they're watching each other. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Which means that hopefully nobody's watching Jebby so that they can steal the dragon. That's kind of the, the hope here, yeah. Jebby invites Vey to basically spend the night before they go. Because at this juncture, Jebby's like, probably the safest bet for trying to escape is to get the keys. Vey has the keys. If I get Vey undressed and asleep, I can have the keys. I can get the keys. All I need to do is make a substitute, basically. So they've they've kind of formulated a plan. And Arazi, inside of Jebby's head, is kind of curious how Vey can make Jebby so happy and so sad at the same time. <sighs> Jebby's like, quiet, you, it's complicated. I'm, I'm, yes. <laughs> because Jebby genuinely is kind of falling for Vey. But is also torn up because Vey kind did... Kind of falling for? Is torn up because Vey did murder Gia. Well, yeah. kill Gia in warfare. It's a little different than murder. Yes. Um, and also is preparing to betray Vey. Yes. And it's Vey's job to hunt Jebby down after said betrayal happens. Pretty much, yeah. So this is a whole bunch of bad. Oh, yeah. All together. There is no way this ends well. So the next day, uh, Jebby basically spends a part of the day making a passable counterfeit for the keys. The way that they've hit upon doing this is creating key-looking replicas, things that look passably like a key, and then actually using some of the glyphs that they've learned on the keys that kind of create a perception filter. Yeah. So that people who look at them just don't look at them very close, and therefore, hopefully... They will avoid scrutiny for a few days. It's not as simple as, you know, what was it called? Waxing? Yeah. Waxing a key to make a copy of it. This is more like, I'm just going to use these semi-magical substitutes and hope you don't notice. Well, this kind of makes sense because, number one, the keys probably will pass muster until they go to get used, right? So if Vey is leaving for a few days, not going to be using the keys in that time. 
So probably not going to be paying too close attention. Right. The keys will probably fail as counterfeits as soon as Vagos use one of them. Number two, when Jebby disappears with the dragon, probably not going to go unnoticed. And so at that juncture, who cares how they got out, right? Yeah. They're out. Exactly. Yeah. So all it needs to do is just suffice for a few days. Right. So that Vay doesn't immediately notice that the keys have been stolen. Right. Jebby's plan pretty much goes off without a hitch. Jebby well, so far. gets, well, up to the point of stealing and replacing the keys. Because Jebby does get Vay into their room before the end of the chapter and swaps out the keys. And that's, and that's where we stop. Pretty much where we end chapter 10. Yeah. So I am super curious about where we go next time. We kind of touched on this. Uh, Jebby actually spends a part of this chapter puzzling about whether Vey would choose love over duty when it came down to it. Because there's a part of Jebby that's just like, I wish I could just like cut Vey in on this and yeah. just be like, hey, take, take her with me. This is what we need to do. Do you love me enough that you would be willing to come with me? And at the end of the day is like, uh, no, to me, it seems like they would just choose the ministry every time, right? And it's interesting to me because this is the classic samurai dramatic tension. <laughs> if you watch a, a, a classic samurai film, generally speaking, the question at the heart of the film is what happens when the matters of the heart run up against honor and duty? That's kind of what's going on here for Vey, right? Mm, what well, happens when matters of the heart run up against your duty to your job and to your Lord. To be fair, they haven't happened yet. Oh, it's going to happen. Oh, but it's going to, yeah. The unfortunate thing is in classic samurai stories, it does usually end in tragedy because it's a yeah, messy business it and it never resolves itself Nope. Uh, well. So that's something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. uh, I just want to go back really quick about the sketch that Jebby did of uh, Jia and Bong Sunga. Oh, sure. They made uh, a note in the text about how they were uh, bothering to draw like reference lines mm -hmm. and, and such, which is something they don't normally do. And to me, that means that Jebby was trying to put a lot of extra care and attention into this sketch. They wanted to get it right. Yeah. To me, that shows a deeper level of, of affection and respect for the subject matter, right? Like they are drawing their sister and their sister-in-law and they want it to be right, right? Like this is this is family, this is important. It needs to be like well done and correct. And I I don't know. I almost got sentimental over that notion even though it was like deep in the subtext. That's that's a good observation though. Thank you. Arazi also has a lot of observations in this chapter <laughs> still lurking around in Jebby's mind yeah um at one point they have a bit of a philosophical conversation about do you see what i see <laughs> um and this is i mean this is a fair question that could be asked of anybody not just necessarily an automata when i look at the color green does it look the same to me as it looks to you yeah because you're not in the other person's head you don't know this is this is one of those things that philosophy students throw around as they try to be really really deep but it's <laughs> but it, it's a legit question if yeah. I look at something and call it green and you look at something and call it green, great. But are we seeing the exact same thing? Yeah. And we have no way of knowing. Precisely. Because I'm not in your head. I wonder if Arazi experiences it the same way that Jebby does or if it's like watching Jebby TV. 
hard to say. And they don't really resolve on an answer in this chapter. And because Arazi's legitimately like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> we don't we don't have time to, to dive into that. Uh, Arazi also complains about the worry about getting wet because he is made of metal. Yes. Uh, and Jebby's like, I need to oh, remember to keep you out of the rain, maybe. keep you out of the rain, yeah. Uh, and the last observation uh, that I had was the funny little bit where Jebby's putting the perception filter glyphs on the keys and is like, wait, if somebody invented these glyphs, does that mean that there are secret automata running around, semi-invisible, watching people? Are there spies around me right now that I can't see? <laughs> like this just sudden peak of paranoia <laughs> like, where it's what? just like, oh no, <laughs> this could be very bad. Are there, are there a bunch of secret things out there now? Just thought that was funny. <laughs> um, I believe they were reassured that there aren't simply because they don't have that kind of resource. Yeah, it seems like a tremendous waste of resources. But, <laughs> but funny nonetheless. Indeed. Yeah, but uh, I think that's basically where we're going to end this New Year's Eve episode. Yeah. And uh, we will need to read up on Chapter 11 in time for next week. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, you know, as we segue into the new year... Uh, that's a great time to try out new things. And one of the new things that you might want to try out is some new podcasts. And there are many podcasts that are part of the Alberta Podcast Network that are worth your time, but there are some that aren't specifically part of the network, but still do a public good and deserve a little shout out. And the Edmonton Community Foundation has uh, given us the opportunity to give a shout out to one of them right now. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to Overdue Finds. Overdue Finds is an Edmonton Public Library podcast. Bryce Crittenden and Carolyn Land host conversations about books, movies, music, pop culture, and other interesting news about Edmonton. It's a great way to learn more about what's happening at EPL and about how you can use your library card to access all of EPL's in-person and online services. To listen and find out more about Overdue Finds, head to epl.ca slash podcast. Finds, not finds, right? Not finds you pay, but finds, as in things that you find. Because library puns. Yeah, because library puns. Because library puns. Um, you can possibly find more library puns by listening to it. <laughs> oh, I hope so. Uh, you can also listen to other podcasts from the Alberta Podcast Network. You can give them a little sampling right now by heading over to the website, albertapodcastnetwork.com. Find one you like. Mm -hmm. Download it on your podcatcher of choice. It's probably where you're downloading our podcast. I would hope so. You could give us a little rating and review. That'd be nice. It'd help us out. Just saying. Could reach out to us on social media. Oh, yes. We're, we have... We have access to the Twitters and the Instagrams and the Facebooks and the Goodreads. Yes. You're I said it right. At the Read Along <laughs> at almost all of the above. Yes. You can also send us an email. Yes, we are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, have a very happy new year. We love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Stay warm, everybody. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along and check out our group on Goodreads.com.